Hello and welcome to the VetoCast. We are back with a new episode following a veto by the United States on December 18th, 2017. And as it turns out, if this is the last veto of the year, 2017 will have landed on seven vetoes, which is by far the highest number of vetoes in any single year since the end of the Cold War, which goes to show that this is still a very prevalent question. Joining us to discuss this latest veto is Victor Sundman of the UN Association of Sweden. Welcome back to the show, Victor. Thank you, Daniel. And before we get into the consequences of this uh, veto, let's take a look at the basics behind this. So the draft resolution in question, S-2017-1060, was presented by Egypt and uh, was meant to make decisions that in effect changes the diplomatic status of Jerusalem uh, to make them null and void. And this was in response to a recent very controversial decision by the United States to move their diplomatic mission to Israel from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The United States vetoed the draft resolution stating that it threatened their own sovereignty through voiding the decision of where they should place their embassy to Israel. Victor, could you just give us some background to why does the U.S. Uh, want to move its diplomatic mission to, to Jerusalem? Well, I think there's two ways to look at this. One is the domestic U.S. policy perspective. Moving the embassy and recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital was one was a campaign promise from then-candidate Trump. And now to see that he is president, he wants to follow through on that. The, the issue of Israel is important to many Republican voters, to many Republican donors. So following through on this campaign promise can lend him some, uh, some extra support and some extra points within the base and within the donor base that, uh, that he's pandering, pandering to in the U.S. There's also the Israel-Palestine perspective on this. Uh, there is a way to argue that the peace process has been stalled for years, if not decades. And moving the embassy is a way to to adjust to the reality on the ground and to reinvigorate the peace process, to adjust the status quo, to make something happen that can perhaps initiate a peace process again. So what effects uh, will this have on the peace process in more uh, concrete terms, you think? Well, it's difficult to say. Jerusalem is what's called a final status issue, meaning that there's been a consensus about the status of, of Jerusalem not being decided before the final negotiations between the parties. It's always been seen as one of the thorniest issues and one of those who has to be saved for lost for the Israeli side and Palestinian side to agree upon in an eventual peace accord. So it is difficult to say whether this decision from the U.S will actually change since this resolution was not adopted, since it's clear that there's not international support for recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. I'm not sure how much the U.S. decision will change this as in international law and in international eyes, the situation remains largely unchanged. But it might signal that U.S. wants to take a more active role in that if the peace process does not move forward by itself, the, the U.S. is ready to take certain actions to try to affect the situation, which might bring the parties to the pay table and bring the peace process forward. I'm just speculating here and trying to see things in an optimistic way and how this could positively affect it. But there's also a risk of this negatively affecting it, since it, it can be seen as strengthening the Israeli hand in the negotiations, which is already quite strong with Israel being a recognized state internationally, having state function in being an occupying power in Palestinian territories. So it's ambiguous. It's not clear if it will have an effect. And if it does, it can act both as a starter of, of the peace process, again, a restarter, or it could also be detrimental to negotiations because it makes one party too strong, so to speak. And why is Jerusalem such an important factor in the negotiations? Jerusalem is an important city for 
both Muslims in Palestine and the Jewish people of Israel, and, and for Christians as well, for that matter. And it has been a thorny issue because there are several holy sites for both Muslims and for Jewish people within Jerusalem, which both states want sovereignty over, and they don't really trust the other sides to speak to properly maintain and protect those uh, religious holy sites. And since this conflict between Israel and Palestine for, for so long has had these religious elements dismissed, makes Jerusalem a very important issue. And there has been talk of dividing the city into Eastern Jerusalem for, with containing the Muslim holy sites and the rest of Jerusalem, but there's also been a strive to maintain the integrity of Jerusalem as one city uh, because it is an historically important site. And it, there are many who don't want to divide a city and see it as a unified whole. So it is difficult. It's a difficult issue to, to solve and to respect all sites and all religions who make claim to the, the city. And that's why it is so sensitive in this peace process. Following this decision by the uh, Security Council and the veto by the United States, there has been some things going on in the General Assembly as well. Could you just give a brief recap on what's been going on there and what has been the U.S. course of, uh, of action in the General Assembly? To give that brief background, I'll first go back to the 1950s. In the 1950s, the Soviet Union boycotted and the Security Council, but there was fear that they would come back to lay vetoes to any Security Council suggestion to take action in Korea and the Korea war that was currently raging. To avoid that, there was a resolution adopted in the General Assembly that stated that if the Security Council is unable to act in a certain situation because of disagreement between the permanent members, the General Assembly can take on the responsibility to maintain international peace and security and to call for action from member states in a response to acts uh, to threatening the peace or acts of aggression. And this is called Uniting for Peace, and that was the name of that resolution. And the Uniting for Peace resolution has since the 1950s been used around 10 times for when there has been vetoes in the Security Council the question has been taken up in General Assembly instead, who have taken different forms of, of resolutions calling on certain kinds of behavior and making statements and so on. And this is what's happened here. When the US veto was laid in the Security Council, as similar or even identical resolution was raised in the General Assembly in an emergency special session called with explicit reference to uh, United for Peace mechanism. And there it passed. Uh, 128 states voted in favor of adopting this resolution as a General Assembly resolution. Only nine voted against it and the rest either abstained or were not present for the voting. And before this vote, the US uh, had made very clear attempts to influence the votes of other states. And I believe the President Trump had tweeted that aid would be cut to those states who voted in favor of the of the resolution. After the vote, Nikki Haley invited uh, Nikki Haley is the UN ambassador of the US invited those states who had not voted for it to a friendship party to be held on the 3rd of January and it was very clear that they know who votes for this and that there will be some kind of consequences. So the US have been very actively trying to influence the votes of states in here uh, in, in this process, but they have not succeeded and the General Assembly resolution was adopted. So the General Assembly has declared uh, this um, decision by the US null and void and uh, called on other states to not move their diplomatic missions to 
to Jerusalem, uh, even though the Security Council failed to do so. Now, as you are all aware, the Stop Legitimate Vetoes campaign codes every new veto as either legitimate or illegitimate based on uh, previously established uh, criteria regarding the permanent member's own security and sovereignty. And as the United States claims, with some well-founded arguments, that this draft resolution uh, was a threat to their own sovereignty, the veto has been coded by us as legitimate. This is actually the first time in the history of this campaign that we have coded a veto as legitimate, as it is also the first veto in the time period we analyzed that is explicitly motivated by the permanent member's own sovereignty. But this is not to say that there are no consequences of the veto, and the draft resolution was supported by every member of the council except for the United States, including very close allies such as the United Kingdom. And while the direct consequences of the draft resolution not passing is that previously decided US policy can be implemented more along the lines of uh, how it was planned. I still want to ask a final question to you, Victor, that would you say that this will have any long-term effects on the United States uh, sort of self-proclaimed leadership in the international community? First, one has to look back and see that this is not something shockingly new within U.S. policy. It is not the first time they used to veto, and it's definitely not the first time they used to veto regarding the conflict between Israel and Palestine. So using the veto to protect their interests and to protect Israel's interests is not something that is new, and it's not something that diverges from previous administrations' policies. Furthermore, recognizing Jerusalem as the, the capital of Israel is not as new as one would think. Already Bill Clinton in 1993 said that he was in principle not against moving the, the embassy to Jerusalem, uh, although there were practical concerns in doing that. And both President George W. Bush and President Barack Obama as candidates stated that they saw Jerusalem as Israel's capital. What is new here is that Donald Trump as a sitting president has said that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel and that he intends to move the embassy there. There has since 1995 been a Congress issued decision to uh, that the U.S. embassy should be moved to Jerusalem, but as of 1999, this has been postponed every six months by the sitting president. And they have waived this decision and this move uh, because of national security concerns. And following the announcement by President Trump that the embassy was going to be moved, this waiver was still signed. He would still waive this. And it expected that for an actual move to take place, it might take several years because they need to find a site for it and need to build an embassy building and so on. So this is not something that immediately means that the U.S. embassy to Israel is located in Jerusalem. This is a long process, and it is not entirely divergent from previous policy. Whether it will have any long-term impact, it all depends on how this moves forward. If the move actually goes through, I would be far from certain that to assume that President Trump will actually follow through on moving the embassy. It also depends on the reaction of those involved in the Israeli-Palestine peace process. We have seen, following the statement, that there's been a lot of process in the Arab world. As we discussed earlier, this might have an effect on the peace process, either positive or negative. How that falls out will affect whether this will hurt or even bolster the U.S. international leadership. And also, it might be questioned whether this is the action taken by um, the current administration that is most detrimental to U.S. international leadership or whether other actions such as the withdrawal from international trade agreements, from international climate agreements and so on, has a much more pronounced, much more stronger effect on this uh, loss of international leadership. So I, th I don't think it's an entirely clear answer to the question. I don't think we, we can know by now, but 
we can definitely follow this issue in the years moving forward and see whether this decision can have an effect on U.S. leadership. Thank you, Victor. You can find more information about Stop Illegitimate Vetoes on our Facebook page, Twitter, and of course on our webpage, stopillegitimatevetoes.org. We will be back if and when there is a new veto in the Security Council. And until then, thank you and goodbye.